Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. I could be wrong here, but there's an interesting paradigm that I'm starting to watch take place as I'm seeing these different news stories sort of on a day-in and day-out basis. And there's a trend that is remarkably alarming, but it, sh- it frankly shouldn't shock anybody. And it's, um, it's gotten to the point where it's not shocking me, but I- I'm almost certain this is being done on purpose. Every single time that I'll come across a particular story about critical race theory, almost immediately, behind it, or even just in front of it, so that this next story is immediately ignored and the critical race theory pops up, is a serious school-related vaccine quote-unquote story. Now, of these two topics the most serious and the most deadly and the one that has the most immediate life-altering impact, of course, are all of the jab stories. So I'll give you just one recent example here. Just the other day, stories everywhere about how teachers unions were now voting on moving forward with critical race theory no matter what, and this is the way that it's going to be, and X, Y, Z. Again, within a day now, and it just, it just continues to be the trend here, but this also comes from Fox News from approximately five days ago, and it says America's largest teachers union to vote on mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations, masks, and testing for students. The National Education Association plans to vote on the action item. So, I mean, good Lord, this jab stuff isn't going away. It's not only, I mean, it's ramping up to the next level. The interesting dynamic here is that every time a story like this related to the jabs pops up, we're back to critical race theory again. So, I, and it's all communism. I mean, that's the thing that everybody has to understand. It's infringement of individual rights, regardless of, of your take on either of those two particular topics. Are they both pressing issues? Yes. I personally, as, again, people who have listened to this before, you fully know my stance on the critical race theory stuff at this point. I've said it a thousand times. It's pretend it needs to be done away with. But I also said regarding that particular topic that there were going to be holdouts and that teachers were going to say, well, we don't care if it's state-mandated that we can't teach it and we can't make things up the way that we want and make everything about race. That, too, has already taken place and is already happening, and now that's finally being reported on. So now we have at least 5,000 teachers that have apparently signed some petition, and now they're all saying, well, we don't care what the state says, we don't care, blah, 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 we're opening, uh, openly defying the law, and that's just the way that it's going to be, and we're going to teach whatever we want. Those 5,000 teachers should be fired immediately. They should lose their jobs immediately, because now they're openly saying we're breaking the law and we don't care. Um, all of that was very, very predictable. So again, is this stuff about teachers unions getting involved with critical race theory and saying that it's, it should be allowed to take place. It should be allowed to happen. It's not that big of a deal. And we're going to vote on it because we're a government agency and we get to say what we want to say and do what we want to do and implement what we want to implement. That's just not the way that it works. Teachers unions or not. It's the State Departments of Education that really have the pull, and then, of course, they have to do what their governors tell them to do. 
and that's the way that it goes. But I, I, I will always find it interesting that every single time there's a story about critical race theory, there's also some story about schools ramping up the, the push to jab all of their staff members, all of their students, et cetera, et cetera. And it's happening more and more often to where these two stories are now sort of whitewashing the other. And, and you're, you're not noticing more of one particular story while the critical race theory stuff, of course, gets pushed to the nth degree here. So again, this, call, this particular one comes from Audrey Conklin from Fox News. And I'm going to read this, and I'm not a fan of Fox anymore and haven't been for a very long time. But this is worth reading because, again, this needs to go noticed, and this can't be ignored. So again, America's largest teachers union to vote on mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations, mass and testing for students. This has got to be the question that people ask when returning to K-12 schools, if they're actually going to keep returning to public school, even private school and charter school. This is the, this is the only question. You can save the critical race theory for later, but this right now is, the most, is, is really the most pressing question. So it states the following, quote, The National Education Association, America's largest teachers union, is holding a vote on requiring mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations, mass and testing for students before classes return in the fall. It's just, it's just nuts. It continues, The new business meeting action item submitted by 50 delegates is awaiting debate on the NEA's website. The action item calls for mandatory, safe, and effective COVID-19 vaccinations and testing for all students and staff before returning to face-to-face -face instruction in the fall, subject to medical exemptions in accordance with existing law, and will widely publicize this position via social media. Corey D. DeAngelis, National Director of Research at School Choice Now, first highlighted the action item on Twitter. Uh, and then they continued and said, quote, We will further call for and publicize that safety measures such as social distancing, masking, and proper ventilation be mandatory for all. Now, I'm going to stop it there for just a second before I keep going. People have got to understand, and I know that many do, which is fantastic. And if you're unaware of this, you, you, you really have got to, to get your arms around this here. Teachers unions are arguably one of the most and easiest manipulated entities that exist in K-12 education, without a doubt. We're talking about George Soros money. We're talking about Bill and Melinda Gates money. We're talking about on-the-ground militant action from the likes of Bill Ayers, and, and countless other radicals all across the nation. They're all in this together. They're all holding hands, and they're all moving forward with plans like this and funding things like this. Now, teachers' unions theoretically shouldn't even exist. At a philosophical level, they just shouldn't exist. That's number one. Number two, the only reason that they exist is for two reasons. Well, not the only reason, but there, there are two reasons. The first reason is that teachers pay into it. Roughly 40 bucks a month, give or take. That's completely outrageous that teachers would pay into a teacher's union because, again, it's sold to teachers under the guise of being some sort of protective entity with lawyers and people who will come to the defense of the teacher, and that's just not true. It's not true. 
They are paper pushers. They stamp papers. They move things along. They have a process. And by and large, regardless of the state that a person lives in, if they have a teacher's union, they are not really there representing the individual innocent teacher who has done nothing wrong. They are interested in making money. They are interested in taking money from endless entities and then just pushing forward one radical plan after another. That's their main motive. That's what they do. That's what they've always done. It's organized crime. It's always been organized crime. It isn't any different now. Same, same kind of thing. And it shouldn't shock anybody that teachers unions would say things like, we are interested in publicizing safety measures, quote-unquote, such as social distancing, masking, and proper ventilation, and making that mandatory. That has nothing to do with the safety of any illness that's less contagious than the common cold. It has, it has nothing to do with any of that. It's all about communistic control over everything. That's the point. That's the overall overreaching point about teachers' unions. People have to stop paying into them. But the intimidation that comes, as I've spoken about in the past, with not being a part of a teachers' union is also massive. Countless teachers and administrators know exactly what teachers are members of the teachers' union and which ones are not. And they all sort of blindly look at each other like, oh, you need to be a part of the teachers' union. You need to make sure and pay your dues and blah, blah, blah. And they'll slide that teacher union piece of paper in front of you right when you're signing your contract to be a school teacher. And they'll say, oh, you need to sign this too. This way you can be a part of the teachers' union. And in many cases, when you sign on that dotted line, many people don't even read it, number one. They just sign it. And then number two, you have no idea that all of this money is being taken out of your paycheck for something that in the end doesn't protect you. So that's my two cents on the teachers' union. But again, if that story shocks anybody that teachers' unions would get involved in the jab or that teachers' unions would get involved with critical race theory, uh, I'm sorry, you're, you're just not, I mean, you're not paying attention. It, that shouldn't shock anybody that that would be the case. They are as corrupt, if not more corrupt, than countless other, than, you know, countless other agencies or entities, but they have got their fingers just all the way around K-12 education, and it's, um, it's mind-boggling and it's awful. And I would love to see teachers' unions just disappear. I would love to see them engage in, and who knows, maybe this is a giant trap. I mean, I'm theorizing here a bit, but maybe it's just a giant trap. Maybe this is being used to ensnare, so to speak, um, teachers' unions in, in, the, in the jab slash critical race theory criminality that's taking place that we're all witnessing right now. But again, a lot of people don't even know that what's going on is a crime. So um, it's... It's hard to know where to start and stop with this. Anyway, it continues. Uh, DeAngelis pointed out to a, quote, massive power imbalance between the teachers' union monopoly and individual families, unquote, as the main problem with K-12 education in America in a response to the action item on Twitter. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention said in January that there's little evidence schools have contributed meaningfully to increased community transmission. In February, the agency said that the adverse effects of virtual learning outweigh the threat of transmitting the virus during in-school learning. And then it says this, quote, There is more spread that is happening 
in the community when schools are not open than when schools are open, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky told reporters at the time. Now, the other interesting thing, and this is me now, is that when all of this nonsense started over a year ago, there were countless doctors on TV initially that were saying there's no reason to close down any schools whatsoever. Students need to be in school. What happened? Schools shut down. People did virtual learning. Colleges and universities shut down. You see, no one really, that right there should tell you that just because you have a doctor show up on TV and actually provide actual facts for a change, which is a unique occurrence in these, in these times, but even when that happens, it doesn't matter. That tank just keeps moving forward. The train just keeps rolling down the tracks of we need more control, we need more control. It's beyond outrageous. So this article continues here, uh, and it says, quote, Duke Health also released a study in January showing that in-person learning is generally safe if schools take proper safety precautions, but some teachers' unions have argued that schools would not be prepared to reopen fully until all school staff members are vaccinated. Okay. The ones that are receiving the jabs, ladies and gentlemen, are the most radical of all the individuals, the ones that are not awake, the ones that are at the beck and call of every teacher's union. These individuals, I'm telling you, they're not going to be around for very long once they take these jabs. You're going to have countless school districts with teachers falling flat dead in the next six to nine months because their immune systems are 100% compromised. So then, let's project a little here and, and, and predict once more if we, if we can. What do you think the excuse is going to be in the future when teachers start dropping dead and administrators start dropping dead and they can't staff the buildings anymore? Who are they going to blame for the sick teachers and the sick and dead staff members? I'll wait. They're going to blame students. If you said students, you would be correct. They're going to say, oh, look, they are super spreaders. Children and students are super spreaders. It's out of control because now all the teachers are, are, are dropping dead. and It can't possibly be because their immune systems are compromised because of the jabs. It has to be because the students are unjabbed. That's going to be the excuse. And then what are they going to do? See, that's going to be the next move then. That next move will be, well, now we have to mandate the jabs for all students everywhere in every K-12 school. And then, of course, unfortunately, that will work its way through lots of private schools, lots of charter schools, and that's just the way that it's going to go. I mean, again, as <laughs> I'm not saying I'm going to be right on this, but you don't need chicken bones and you don't need to light things on fire to stare into a, a crystal ball to figure this stuff out. Their answers are all over the place, and they're becoming more and more predictable with every single move. Because they're already back now to, well, even if you've had the jabs, you still have to wear the masks. Wrap your head around that one for a minute. And think of all the people that thought that they had to wear a mask, which they didn't. And think of all the people that got the jabs so that they wouldn't have to wear a mask, which they didn't have to do that either. Now, we're down to the kids, and the only way for them to mass vaccinate, quote-unquote vaccinate, but to mass kill countless children would be to mandate these jabs to students 
again, we're talking about a level of psychological warfare that I understand not everybody's going to be able to handle. I fully get it. And it's upsetting to me, uh, and that's putting it mildly. But it's just becoming too predictable here. It's, it's becoming way too predictable. So this article ends by saying this. And again, it's, no one can keep their story straight here. Uh, let's see. Quote, in mid-March, the CDC updated its K-12 school reopening guidelines to say schools can safely reopen while enforcing just three feet of social distancing between students with mandatory mask usage. The guidelines also do not require teacher vaccinations in order for schools to reopen. And then it wraps up by saying this, quote, More than 66% of the U.S. population has received at least the first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, according to the CDC. That's a lie. First of all, that's a lie. There's no way it's 66%, because roughly three months ago, it was less than 20%. I mean, they don't even read their own statistics, not to mention the CDC's statistics are wrong, and their entire VAERS report is completely inaccurate. We know these things. So when they throw out a statistic like that, it cannot be taken seriously under any, under any circumstance. It just can't. And it says this in, in conclusion here, quote, The Department of Education in April issued its second volume of its COVID-19 guidelines for students to address the emotional and mental health impact of the pandemic on America's students, noting that students who are absent or not actively participating in classes were also more likely to be English learners, students with disabilities, students in foster care, students experiencing homelessness, students from low-income backgrounds, Native American youth, and migratory students. Now, that's unquote. The, the other propaganda line with this and the other manipulation of stories is the K-12 entity that is American K-12 and, uh, education is saying students are more unhealthy when they're away from school because it's online learning and they're not around their friends and they're not around the, you know, they're, they're not around government, which means they're, they're, they're always more unhealthy that way. I have to tell you, if a person is healthier inside of a school building than they are at home, then that should tell you something about the state of the home. That means that the home is an unhealthy environment. But we know that the vast majority of people who attend school, they have healthy home environments. The vast majority do. So this entire thing of mental health because they're away from school that the mental health decline is the case among students because they're away from school? I'm sorry. I don't buy that for a minute. The mental health decline has to do with the fact that they don't want to go back to school because they don't want to stand in six or three feet distanced lines. They don't want to look around and not be able to talk with their friends while they're sitting at a cafeteria table by themselves while they're all wearing masks, while they can't read facial expressions, all of that is the real reason for the mental decline, not to mention the fear porn that's on their televisions when they turn them on, the fear porn that's on their YouTube channels when they open up YouTube on their iPads. And keep in mind, countless students have all of these iPads in front of their faces. And I've talked about it before on what's on what's on the uh, on what's on YouTube on a constant basis. These giant scrolling, one video after another 
of COVID this, COVID that, coronavirus this, that, pictures of people being jabbed. You can't find videos of adverse reactions and deaths related to these jabs on YouTube. You have to go to BitChute to find the truth. You have to go to BitChute. Or you have to go to Telegram and, and, and get linked on the, the correct Telegram page. Or you have to go to Gab. These are the places you have to go to get the truth. It's not YouTube. So the very, again, the very concept that K-12 students have iPads in front of their faces all of the time in school is remarkably problematic because all it's doing is propagandizing them even more so than the mediocre to subpar uh, instruction that they are probably receiving. Not to mention, again, everybody's masked up, apparently. And there's shower curtains between the desks, you know, because that's normal. I mean, the teachers' union, let's go back to that for a second. The teachers' union is protecting those teachers, the ones that are hanging up shower curtains in between people's desks. That's what's, that's what's being protected. That's okay. But as I've said in the past, if a teacher did that back in 2019, they'd be arrested psychologically evaluated, and they'd be fired. And then they would have their certificate taken away from them because anybody at the state level investigating that and reviewing those papers at a State Department of Education would say, this teacher is insane. So again, just to, just to review here, I don't think that it's an accident that the critical race theory stories are making their way out there the same time that these jab stories are making their way out there. I do believe, unfortunately, however, that the people who are pushing the critical race theory stories extra hard and are only paying attention to that are, are potentially attempting to pull people's attention away from mandatory jabs in your local schools, mandatory mask wearing, mandatory distancing, more abuses in your local schools for the schools that are still doing all of that stuff. And I sure hope that people remember that if that took place in a school near you, and now all of a sudden it doesn't happen anymore, ladies and gentlemen, it had nothing to do with any illness that's less deadly than the common cold. That wasn't why it was done. It wasn't done for the quote-unquote health and safety of minors and adults and the people working in those environments. That's not what it was. It was a, it was a game to see who would be compliant. Because as I've said in the past, maybe next time they'll have everybody wear sombreros. And everybody will just be walking around wearing sombreros because, again, a doctor on TV said this is the only way to protect against something. And then what will happen? People will actually be walking around wearing sombreros because they think that it's protecting them against something. They're not recognizing that it's just flat-out abuse, that it's a crime against humanity. They're not even recognizing that, and that's remarkably disturbing. So keep your eyes open again for all of these teacher union votes and what they plan on doing, and make sure that you're hounding, and I mean hounding, your local school districts if you're, if you're still involved and you're, and you're still sending your, your children to public school, and I get it, a lot of people have to, or they think that they have to, and a lot of people, again, they don't think that even charter schools or private schools would be capable of something like this, but believe me, they do. 
just because they're private or charter doesn't mean that they're uh, that they're immune. I've I've covered lots of private schools in this podcast that are remarkably corrupt and are forcing these jabs and masks on students and segregating them and discriminating against them for one reason or another. Now, if you're interested in a medical exemption, my understanding is is that you can attain one very, very easily. If you don't get one from your local doctor, you can certainly get one from America's frontline doctors without a doubt. And I have no doubt that they would be able to sign off on saying, yeah, here's why they're medically exempt. They're medically exempt because it's poisonous. How about that medical exemption? Because, ladies and gentlemen, if we were actually talking about a real vaccine, it's not the vaccinated that make the unvaccinated ill. That's not the way that that works. The whole vaccine rollout in schools, dating back to its very first time that, you know, the very first moment it occurred, was all driven for government compliance. That was the entire point. Because if you had unvaccinated, quote-unquote, students all around each other, they'd probably be the hel- that would probably be the healthiest environment, period. End of story. But again, it's a different ballgame now. And not only, not only are they ramping this up and pushing it more and more on children, but my prediction here is they have an interesting scheme on how they're going to do it. And they're going to have all the staff members jabbed to the bone, And then they're going to invite all these students back. And six to nine months later, you're going to see teachers dropping like flies. And I'm talking about dying. I'm not talking about just getting the sniffles and then going home and coming back. I'm talking about deathly ill. And then the schools are going to have to close. And then they're going to blame the students as being quote-unquote super spreaders. And they're the ones that got their teachers sick. Again... If you're on the same wavelength with me on this, you deserve a blue ribbon. You really do. We're talking about, again, psychological warfare at, that's just next level. It's next level psychological warfare. But it's becoming more and more predictable, and it's still absolutely horrific. Now, here's the last thing I wanted to bring up. And again, this is interesting, and it does have a lot to do with K-12 schools in particular in, uh, in a very specified specified area. The United States Department of Agriculture apparently has been doing this for quite some time, but they've ramped it up to the next to the next level here. The USDA is paying farmers to destroy their crops and destroy their cattle after after they're fully mature and, and ready to be shipped out. And they're paying them and offering them 130% or more over their normal selling price just to get rid of it. Now, what does this have to do with K-12 schools? The USDA supplies endless schools in the United States with food. So let's ask ourselves a couple of questions on this one. Why is that happening, number one? And number two, what connection, again, would that have long-term to American K-12 schools? Why are they setting up a food shortage? So there's this post here from GreatAwakening.Win uh, Great that I want to read. Because, again, I, it's, it's remarkably telling, but it also hopefully puts people in a mindset of preparing 
for a massive food shortage, but it, uh, but I'm using like, I'm, I mean, I'm using finger quotes here. We're not talking about a real shortage. We're talking about the purposeful destruction of food, which is, again, I fully understand, does go on a lot. And it goes on behind the scenes. And if people found out that this had always been happening, but is going to get ramped up here in the future, potentially, that would drive a lot of people nuts. They would say, well, there's no way that we would do that. We have all these homeless people and this homeless problem. And there's hunger everywhere, and why do we have a you know why do we have a food shortage, and why are we destroying our own food? I fully understand that it makes little sense, but uh, it's certainly something that needs to needs more eyes on it, and needs more ears on it, and, and again, people should prepare for such a thing. But this post says this: the Department of Agriculture is allegedly paying farmers to dispose of their crops, or they lose thirty plus cents per pound on their food. And then it says the food shortage, quote-unquote, is planned, and it's coming. So here's what the post says, and this was a, uh, let's see, this was in response to the original post, so this is someone responding to it. And they said this, quote, it's already here. Between the farm subsidies and the shipping problem, quote-unquote, things will get really interesting here in about another two weeks. Talk to anyone in shipping logistics or who manages a store of any size, and they'll tell you about these shortages and shipping issues. Also, I talked with a local farmer near me recently. He's been offered 130% over his usual crop selling price to destroy his crops and cattle. He hasn't taken it yet, and he sells mainly to local stores, so doesn't have the issue of rotting crops or old cattle yet, but admitted that it was extremely hard to sell it all, mainly due to the shipping logistics shortages. Finding drivers to transport his loads has been the biggest issue for him. I suspect that with COVID and the lockdowns and stimulus payments, quote-unquote, there, uh, there were drivers that decided to take this time to take a break from the road. That's when the backlogs started. And now with the rising fuel costs, a lot of independent single truck owners have been forced out, causing a driver shortage, quote-unquote. All, all of the trucking companies are hiring, but no one wants to be out on the road for five days or more a week, especially the drivers with families, especially since they now have to prove to various state-run DOTs that they've been vaxxed for interstate commerce travel. And then they said this, Remember, Florida is one of the largest food producers in the country, second in cattle only to Texas. We produce a lot of construction materials, defense hardware and munitions, paper products, plants, fuel, natural gas, etc. And now there are states like Michigan, California, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, that are saying Floridians can't travel to those states without being vaxxed, quote-unquote. When you keep a state like Florida from being able to deliver its goods, shortages are bound to pop up. None of the current shortages are natural. It's all planned to starve us out eventually. And then they kind of continued a little bit. It's worth noting, again, that the USDA supplies endless K-12 schools with food. So if the USA, USDA is paying farmers to destroy their crops and schools don't end up with the right amount of food. Are they planning on not having to serve that food because, they're, because they know that their schools aren't going to be open in the future? Or are they actually planning on a full-scale food shortage for countless people, which isn't a real shortage? 
and they can't blame it on weather, and they can't blame it on climate change, although we know that they're probably going to do all that nonsense too, because that's a giant lie, which I've covered before. But those seem to be the only two options. They must know that they're not going to have to provide the food to K-12 schools, or that they know that they're not going to have to provide the food to countless citizens who, who buy these products within these stores. So that would be interesting. So I guess I would say that. Maybe a little homework project is very simple. Find a local farmer. Ask them if this is happening. Ask them about this. Because again, a lot of the posts below that particular post were saying the very same things. It was people saying, I did this. I went out and I talked to a local farmer who lives right down the street and he said it's true. I'd love to see the paperwork on that. I'd love to see what, what that email or what that letter uh, or even if it's a phone call, what, 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 that would, uh, what that would actually look like or sound like if that's actually happening. So something to keep an eye on without a doubt. There's a ton going on. It's not going away. Just because it's the middle, you know, beginning middle of July here coming up doesn't mean that any of this school-related stuff is going to go away. More, it's even more important that parents and students remain vigilant during the summertime as to what's going on in their upcoming schools, again, assuming that they're going to be attending these schools. I myself, I live very close to a university campus. I think it's going to be real interesting driving right through the center of town. Uh, you know, midday, right through the middle of campus to see how many students are actually back attending. I have a feeling it's not going to be many. And I, I think that's going to be the case in a lot of places, but time will tell. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless. <laughs>